0: this is the Hindu Pali podcast. I'm your host, Krishnadas Rajagopal. We have with us Senior Advocate and Member of Parliament, Mr. P. Wilson and Mr. Kalishram Raj, Supreme Court Advocate, Author and Legal Columnist. We're going to discuss the power of pardon or remission of the governors under Article 161 of the Constitution in the background of the recent Supreme Court judgment releasing A.G. Pereriwalan in the Rajiv Gandhi assassination case. Welcome, sirs. So I'll uh, ask the first question, move on to the first question. The top court has held that a state cabinet decision will bind the governor under Article 161. The judgment has been hailed as a victory for federalism and state autonomy by the Tamil Nadu chief minister. Won't this line of reasoning have the tendency to endorse any arbitrary decision with respect to remission or pardon by the cabinet, I mean the state cabinet in future, even when it is vitiated by political or other consideration, Mr. Wilson.
1: Thank you, Mr. Krishnodas. You are saying as if governors always act reasonably. We have seen that governors have become agents of the party in center and not that of union government. We have seen that state governments formed by non-BGP parties are facing a lot of difficulties with the governor who are obstructing the implementation of welfare measures by the popularly elected government. We too have a problem here. Governor sitting on the bills passed by the legislature without performing his duties under the constitution, coming to the decision of the cabinet, which is binding on the governor. The constitution works like that. The judgment is a reiteration of that principle. The people elect the representatives who form the government. The chief minister and council of ministers advise the governor and such advice binds the governor. That's how policy decisions are taken and implemented. The cabinet represents the people. So people control the decisions. If the people don't like the decisions, they will vote out the government through elections. Apart from the public uh, judgments, Decision of the cabinets are subject to judicial review within the limited grounds. Therefore, there is no danger of arbitrariness since it is subject to judicial review. Now, in the present case, the Apex Court has approved that decision to remit by directly saying that the governor should have acted on it and there are no materials adverse to it. Therefore, there can be no allegations of legal perversity in this case. Mr. Raj, your take
2: on this? Yes, Mr. Krishnas, thank you very much. Uh, The verdict has underlined the imperatives of federalism in the context of gubernatorial amnesty. Article 161 is more about the governor's duty rather than power. It is no way inferior to the president's role under Article 72 of the Constitution, nor it is replaced by the latter the governor is generally bound by the cabinet decision. This does not, however, mean that even an arbitrary decision by the cabinet vitiated by non-application of mind or extraneous considerations will bind the governor. It will not. This position is well settled. The device of judicial review is the most effective check against such aberrations. The Supreme Court has indicated this principle in Maruram versus Union of India, a 1980 decision, and reiterated the same principle in the subsequent judgments like Satpal versus State of Haryana of 2000 and Narayana versus State of Punjab of 2011. The present judgment does not in any way disturb this position of law. It rests on its own peculiar facts and therefore there is no room for any such apprehension. Right. So we're moving on to the second question. The, the court invoked
0: Article 142 of the constitution and directed Pereriwalan to be released. This ideally should have been an order the governor should have issued. Was it not proper and desirable for the court to remit the matter back to the governor who is the competent authority under the constitution? to pass an order of remission. Can 142 be stretched to this extent? Mr. Wilson?
1: Yeah. Uh, So far as remitting the matter to the governor is not at all required. Here in this case, governor has not done his job as per the constitution. All authorities are bound by the decisions of the Apex court. Gone are the days when we used to say a court cannot issue directions to governor or even the president. Nobody is above the law. That's the essential feature of a state which operates under rule of law. The governor was given enough time, opportunity, and warnings by the Supreme Court when the matter was heard. There was no improvement, and the governor was blatantly disregarding the court's observations. In such circumstances, the court is empowered under Article 142 to do complete justice. Our Supreme Court is not powerless to do justice and plea helplessness if the executive doesn't obey its orders. There is nothing wrong in the court invoking Article 142 and it's a correct approach. This is the beauty of our constitution. Judiciary is the final arbiter of the constitution. And if the governor does not do his job, the court can pass appropriate orders. And so the court has passed this order in this case.
2: Mr. Raj? Yes. Uh, invocation of Article 142, I think, is justified in the peculiar facts of the case which are almost unique. The delay on the part of the governor in accepting the cabinet decision was enormous and it impacted the liberty of a person who was legally and constitutionally entitled to be released. The case was fought for decades, which took its own course. The center also contributed to the delay by invoking its usual litigation strategies. The court might have been conscious of this process injustice, meted out to parary and felt that the only way to undo it was to invoke Article 142 of the Constitution and to release the prisoner. A further remittance to the governor would have again prolonged the litigation, which has already crossed all imaginable limits. In the past, uh, given the circumstances where gubernatorial
0: offices were used by the center for political purposes, many have questioned even the need for the office of the governor. Do you feel that the admonition against the governor in the instant case should uh, persuade us to rethink the very requirement to have nominated governors in states? Mr. Wilson, your take.
1: Yeah, certainly you are correct. See the constituent debates, when the manner of appointment, a governor's post and power was discussed. The makers of constitution never thought of giving a governor similar powers as that of elected representatives. Hence, the governor's post is made as a nominated and not by way of election. It is dangerous when one man sits over the decision of 234 elected representatives as it amounts to removing the basis of democracy. You're right, uh, Mr. Krishna. The time has come, where certainly the uh, re- the requirement for a nominated governor has to be thought about. We have to rethink about this. Mr. Raj,
2: yes, Mr. Krishna as Many people think so in the line in which you uh, which you suggested in your question. Uh, I am in fact reminded of the opinion of Professor R. venkatrao of Andhra University, who hinted that governor's post is useless when inert and dangerous when active. Uh, ironically, in the Perarivalan episode, even the inertness of the governor was proved to be dangerous. Yet, Uh, I don't don't share the view that misuse of a position per se is a reason for abolishing it. There are many duties which the governor must carry out in a federal system. Justice Sarkaria Commission wanted the governor to act as a friend, philosopher, and guide to the Council of Ministers. The commission wanted the governor to be, uh, that is the Sarkaria Commission, wanted the governor to be a detached figure and not too intimately connected with the local politics of the state uh, i don't know whether whether this romanticism in the sakaria report uh, is rather honored uh, in the subsequent time the point is to ensure that the governor acts within the constitutional framework abolition of the post could create uh, more problems than what it intends to resolve that is my view in recent
0: times, the Supreme Court has, critis- has been criticized for, for its uh, lethargy in deciding important cases, especially cases with political overtones, cases on demonetization, abrogation of special status for Kashmir, validity of electoral bonds, etc. Some instances where the court has deferred uh, adjudication and invited criticism. Do you think that the peri judgment marks a welcome change in the approach of the court, Uh, Mr. Wilson?
1: Yeah, I would say, yes, uh, the uh, peri judgment marks uh, a good change in the approach of the court. Generally, uh, these criticisms are unwarranted and made by people who don't know how hard the institution is working. Uh, Do you know that uh, India has one of the lowest judge to population ratio in the world? The union government is not appointing judges uh, of the High Court and the Tribunal judges on time, despite uh, the Supreme Court gives its recommendation. During COVID-19, our country's judiciary heard and disposed of incredible number of cases. It functioned well beyond judiciary in other countries. you know that if not for the court's orders, oxygen supply to states would have not been equitable during the second wave? I see that a court that is generally sensitive towards violation of human rights a person was kept in jail despite the state's decision to release him. This is definitely a case that warranted the court's interference.
2: Raj? Yes, Krishna. It is true that the Supreme Court has been criticized and very often for, for valid reasons. But the court is not static. No, it is it is an ever-changing institution. Depending upon multiple factors, like the individuals who run it, and the overall constitutional climate. There have been some good judicial interventions in recent times from the Supreme Court, which rejected the stance uh, of, uh, of the of the of the Centre in certain important cases. The orders regarding Pegasus issue and sedition law are illustrated. It may not be an ideal Supreme Court. That is true. Yet, it's the Supreme Court of Possibilities. What exactly would the presidential value of the
0: recent Pereriwalan judgment be? Many things in the verdict, uh, like binding nature of the cabinet decision uh, on the governor, need to avoid delay in uh, governor's decisions, uh, requirement to ensure non-arbitrariness and fairness in such decision, are all otherwise well settled in various judgments. What is the jurisprudential supplement that the Pererevalan judgment uh, provides us? Mr. Raj, could you answer the question?
2: Yes. The, the judgment is uh, very, very precise and clear. It runs into mere 29 pages. In fact, it, it, I think it resembles the Brexit verdict of the UK Supreme Court of 2019 that interfered with Boris Johnson's decisions to prorogue the British Parliament. Uh, brevity is, the, is a universal virtue for constitutional analysis. And this judgment demonstrates it. The judgment shows a great amount of judicial discipline as well by sticking on to the established principles of law. Yet, the court invoked Article 142 to do complete justice. The jurisprudential value of the judgment lies in the idea of complete justice applied in the given facts and circumstances. This is uh, uh, really something unprecedented. Mr. Wills.
1: Yeah. Sir, I would say that the duty of the Governor to abide by the recommendation of the State Cabinet while performing its function, including the power of the Governor to remit, suspend or commute sentences under Article 161. Secondly, this judgment uh, has seen that uh, the Governor, while acting as, uh, exercising his power under Article 161, he did not have sent the matter to the President. That is what the judgment has settled. It is unknown to the constitution, the governor forwarding the file to the president. This is the second uh, 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 jurisprudential settlement of law. Thirdly, the duty of the governors to exercise the power in time is clearly set out. There is an inordinate delay. The court itself has uh, found that once the state uh, cabinet decides and sends his recommendation, the governor ought not to have sat over the file. So therefore, the court has found that there is the inordinate delay on the part of the governor. Fourthly, the judgment recognized the power of the state in such matters of remission, commutation, etc., because this is a power of the state under the you know upheld and uh, the uh, police powers and the prisons. The judgment opposes the human rights man. So a person, when the state have decided to, uh, I mean, uh, remit the sentences and uh, the. Governor cannot uh, sit over by forwarding to the president. That is what I could find from this channel. Right, so
0: well, final final question, thank you, sir. Uh, how far is the Peredivalen judgment relevant from a human right and fundamental right perspective? Uh, the litigation has lasted for decades, although it finally yielded results at the end. What are the lessons for our justice system from this case? Uh, Mr. Wilson?
1: Yeah, justice delayed is justice denied. Each of the organs have to work towards the preservation and promotion of all human rights. But we can't accuse courts of delay without giving any infrastructure.
2: Mr. Raj, if you can. Yes, yes. Uh, I think, uh, uh, Mr. Krishna, I think the judgment has multiple dimensions. It shows the importance of pursuit of the cause by the litigants, uh, the lawyers, the court, and even by the media. It was a hard-won battle. At the end of the day, the judgment upheld the individual's freedom and dignity, the basic promises of the Constitution. The verdict has carried forward notions about the rights of political prisoners. It's a judgment on fundamental rights, though it does not explicitly say so. So in India, where political imprisonment has become almost the norm, this judgment can have and should have far reaching lessons to offer. It emancipates, the judgment essentially has emancipated an individual from the clutches of a mighty state using the very apparatus of the state. And this potential is still there. And this jurisprudence, if applied, in various political contexts may have immense uh, scope to offer for the right jurisprudence in India. And this is the beauty and strength of the district.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for participating in the Hindus' Pali podcast. Thank you very much. Wish you a very good day. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.